Chapter Four of Let 'Em Breathe Space by Lester Del Rey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four. I don't know how many were shocked at Hal's death, or how many looked around and counted one less pair of lungs. He'd never been one of the men I'd envy the air he used, though, and I think most felt the same. For a while we didn't even notice that the air was even thicker. Phil Riggs broke the silence following our inspection of Lomax's cabin. That damned Bullard! I'll get him, I'll get him as sure as he got Hal. There was a rustle among the others and a suddenly crystallized hate on their faces. But Mueller's harsh shout cut through the babble that began and rose over even the anguished shrieking of the cook. Shut up, the lot of you! Bullard couldn't have committed the other crimes. Any one of you is a better suspect. Stop sniveling, Bullard. This isn't a lynching mob, and it isn't going to be one. What about Grundy? Walt Harris yelled. Wilcox pushed forward. Grundy couldn't have done it. He's the logical suspect, but he was playing rummy with my men. The two engine men nodded agreement, and we began filing back to the mess hall, with the exception of Bullard, who shoved back into a niche trying to avoid us. Then, when we were almost out of his sight, he let out a shriek and came blubbering after us. I watched them put Hal Lomax's body through the tween hull's lock and turned toward the engine room. I could use some of that wine, just as the ship could have used a trained detective. But the idea of watching helplessly while the engines purred along to remind me I was just a handyman for the rest of my life got mixed up with the difficulty of breathing the stale air, and I started to turn back. My head was throbbing, and for two cents I'd have gone out between the hulls beside Lomax and the others, and let the foul air spread out there and freeze. The idea was slow coming. Then I was running back toward the engines. I caught up with Wilcox before he went into his own quarters. Wilcox! He swung around casually, saw it was me, and motioned inside. How about some Bartok, Paul? Or would you rather soothe your nerves with some first-rate Buxtehude organ? Damn the music, I told him. I've got a wild idea to get rid of this carbon dioxide, and I want to know if we can get it working with what we've got. He snapped to attention at that. Halfway through my account, he fished around and found a bottle of Armanac. I get it. If we pipe our air through the passages between the hulls on the shadow side, it will lose its heat in a hurry, and we can regulate its final temperature by how fast we pipe it through. Just keep it moving enough to reach the level where carbon dioxide freezes out, but the oxygen stays a gas. Then pass it around the engines. We'll have to cut out the normal cooling setup, but that's okay. Warm it up. Sure, I've got equipment enough for that. We can set it up in a day. Of course, it won't give us any more oxygen, but we'll be able to breathe what we have. To success, Paul. It was surprising how much easier the air got to breathe after we double-checked the idea. In about fifteen minutes, we were all milling around in the engine room while Wilcox checked through equipment. But there was no question about it. It was even easier than we thought. 
we could simply bypass the cooling unit letting the engine housing stay open to the between hull section then it was simply a matter of cutting a small opening into that section at the other end of the ship and installing a sliding section to regulate the amount of air flowing in the exhaust from the engine heat pumps was reversed and run out through a hole hastily knocked in the side of the wall naturally we let it flow too fast at first space is a vacuum which means it's a good insulator we had to cut the air down to a trickle then wilcox ran into trouble because his engines wouldn't cool with that amount of air he went back to supervise a patched-up job of splitting the coolers into sections which took time but after that we had it i went through the hatch with muller and pietro with air there there was no need to wear spacesuits but it was so cold that we could take it only for a minute or so that was long enough to see a faint fine mist of dry ice snow falling it was also long enough to catch a glimpse of the three bodies there i didn't enjoy that and pietro gasped muller grimaced when we came back he sent grundy in to move the bodies to a hull section where our breathing air wouldn't pass over them it wasn't necessary of course but somehow it seemed important by lunch the air seemed normal we shipped only pure oxygen at about three pounds pressure instead of loading it with a lot of useless nitrogen with the carbon dioxide cut back to normal levels it was as good as ever the only difference was that the fans had to be set to blow in a different pattern we celebrated and even bullard seemed to have perked up he dug out pork chops and almost succeeded in making us cornbread out of some coarse flour i saw him pouring out of the food chopper he had perked up enough to bewail the fact that all he had was canned spinach instead of turnip greens but by night the temper had changed and the food indicated it again bullard's cooking was turning into a barometer of the psychic pressure we'd had time to realize that we weren't getting something for nothing every molecule of carbon dioxide that crystallized out took two atoms of oxygen with it completely out of circulation we were also losing water vapor we found normally any one of our group knew enough science to know that the water would fall out before the carbon dioxide but we hadn't thought of it we took care of that however by having wilcox weld in a baffle that kept the section where the water condensed separate from the carbon dioxide snowfall we could always shovel out the real ice and meantime the ship's controls restored the moisture to the air easily enough but there was nothing we could do about the oxygen when that was gone it stayed gone the plants still took care of about two-thirds of our waste but the other third was locked out there between the hulls given plants enough we could have thawed it out and let them reconvert it a nice idea except that we had to wait three months to take care of it if we lived that long bullard's cooking began to get worse then suddenly we got one good meal eve nolan came down the passage to announce that bullard was making cake with frosting canned huckleberry pie and all the works we headed for the mess hall fast it was the cook's masterpiece muller came down late though and regarded it doubtfully there's something funny 
he said as he settled down beside me jenny had been surrounded by napier and pietro bullard came up babbling a few minutes ago i don't like it something about eating hearty because he'd saved us all forever and ever he told me the angels were on our side because a beautiful angel with two halos came to him in his sleep and told him how to save us i chased him back to the galley but i don't like it most of them had already eaten at least half of the food but i saw muller wasn't touching his the rest stopped now as the words sank in and napier looked shocked no he said but his tone wasn't positive he's a weakling but i don't think he's insane not enough to poison us there was that food poisoning before pietro said suddenly paul come along and don't eat anything until we come back we broke the record getting to the galley there bullard sat beaming happily eating from a huge plate piled with the food he had cooked i checked on it quickly and there wasn't anything he'd left out he looked up and his grin widened foolishly hi docs he said yes sir i knowed you'd be coming it all came to me in a dream looked just like my wife twenty years ago she did with green and yellow halos and she told it to me told me i'd been a good man and nothing was going to happen to me not to good old emery bullard had it all figured out he speared a big forkful of food and crammed it into his mouth munching noisily had it all figured out popcorn best damn popcorn you ever saw kind they raised not fifty miles from where i was born you know i didn't used to like you guys but now i love everybody when we get to saturn i'm gonna make up for all the times i didn't give you popcorn we'll pop and we'll pop and beans too i used to hate beans always beans on a ship but now we're saved and i love beans he stared after us half coming out of his seat hey docs ain't you gonna let me tell you about it later bullard pietro called back something just came up we want to hear all about it inside the mess hall he shrugged he's eating the food himself if he's crazy he's in a happy stage of it i'm sure he isn't trying to poison us he sat down and began eating without any hesitation i didn't feel as sure and suspected he didn't but it was too late to back out together we summarized what he told us while napier puzzled over it finally the doctor shrugged visions euphoria disconnection with reality apparently something of a delusion that he's to save the world i'm not a psychiatrist but it sounds like insanity to me probably not dangerous at least while he wants to save us we won't have to worry about the food still wilcox molded over and resumed the eating he had neglected before grundy claimed he'd been down near the engine room trying to get permission to pop something in the big pile i thought grundy was just getting his stories mixed up but popcorn i'll have him locked in his cabin muller decided he picked up the nearest handset saw that it was to the galley and switched quickly grundy lock bullard up and no rough stuff this time 
Then he turned to Napier. Dr. Napier, you'll have to see him and find out what you can. I guess there's a primitive fear of insanity in most of us. We felt sick, beyond the nagging worry about the food. Napier got up at once. I'll give him a sedative. Maybe it's just nerves, and he'll snap out of it after a good sleep. Anyhow, your mate can stand watching. Who can cook? Mueller said. His eyes swung down the table toward Jenny. I wondered how she'd get out of that. Apparently she'd never told Mueller about the scars she still had from the spilled grease and how she'd never forgiven her mother or been able to go near a kitchen since. But I should have guessed. She could remember my stories, too. Her eyes swung up toward mine, pleadingly. Eve Nolan stood up suddenly. I'm not only a good cook, but I enjoy it, she stated flatly. And there was disgust in the look she threw at Jenny. She swung toward me. How about it, Paul? Can you wrestle the big pots around for me? I used to be a short-order cook when I was finishing school, I told her. But she'd ruined the line. The grateful look and laugh from Jenny weren't needed now. And curiously, I felt grateful to Eve for it. I got up and went after Napier. I found him in Bullard's little cubbyhole of a cabin. He must have chased Grundy off, and now he was just drawing a hypo out of the cook's arm. It'll take the pain away, he was saying softly, and I'll see that he doesn't hit you again. You'll be all right now, and in the morning I'll come and listen to you. Just go to sleep. Maybe she'll come back and tell you more. He must have heard me since he signaled me out with his hand and backed out quietly himself, still talking. He shut the door and clicked the lock. Bullard heard it, though. He jerked to a sitting position and screamed, No, no, he'll kill me. I'm a good man. He hunched up on the bed, forcing the sheet into his mouth. When he looked up a second later, his face was frozen in fear, but it was a desperate, calm kind of fear. He turned to face us, and his voice raised to a full shout, with every word as clear as he could make it. All right, now I'll never tell you the secret. Now you can all die without air. I promise I'll never tell you what I know. He fell back, beating at the sheet with his hand and sobbing hysterically. Napier watched him. Poor devil, the doctor said at last. Well, in another minute the shot will take effect. Maybe he's lucky. He won't be worrying for a while, and maybe he'll be rational tomorrow. All the same, I'm going to stand guard until Mueller gets someone else here, I decided. I kept remembering Lomax. Napier nodded, and half an hour later Bill Sanderson came to take over the watch. Bullard was sleeping soundly. The next day, though... He woke up to start moaning and writhing again. But he was keeping his word. He refused to answer any questions. Napier looked worried as he reported he'd given the cook another shot of sedative. There was nothing else he could do. Cooking was a relief in a way. By the time Eve and I had scrubbed all the pots into what she considered proper order, located some of the food lockers and prepared and served a couple of meals, We'd evolved a smooth system that settled into a routine with just enough work to keep our minds off the dwindling air in the tanks. 
In anything like a kitchen, she lost most of her mannish poise and turned into a live, efficient woman. And she could cook. First thing I learned, she told me. I grew up in a kitchen. I guess I'd never have turned to photography if my kid brother hadn't been using our sink for his darkroom. Wilcox brought her a bottle of his wine to celebrate her first dinner. He seemed to want to stick around, but she chased him off after the first drink. We saved half the bottle to make a sauce the next day. It never got made. Mueller called a council of war, and his face was pinched and old. He was leaning over Jenny as Eve and I came into the mess hall. Oddly, she seemed to be trying to buck him up. He got down to the facts as soon as all of us were together. Our oxygen tanks are empty, he announced. They shouldn't be, but they are. Someone must have sabotaged them before the plants were poisoned and done it so the dials wouldn't show it. I just found it out when the automatic switch to a new tank failed to work. We now have the air in the ship and no more. Dr. Napier and I have figured that this will keep us all alive, with the help of the plants, for no more than fifteen days. I am open to any suggestions. There was silence after that, while it soaked in. Then it was broken by a thin scream from Phil Riggs. He slumped into a seat and buried his head in his hands. Pietro put a hand on the man's thin shoulders. Captain Mueller, kill him. It was Grundy's voice, bellowing sharply. Let him breathe space. They got us into it. We can make out what the plants left. It's our ship. Mueller had walked forward. Now his fist lashed out, and Grundy crumpled. He lay still for a second, then got to his feet unsteadily. Jenny screamed, but Mueller moved steadily back to his former place without looking at the mate. Grundy hesitated, fumbled in his pocket for something, and swallowed it. "'Captain, sir?' His voice was lower this time. "'Yes, Mr. Grundy. How many of us can live off the plants?' Ten, perhaps eleven. "'Then—then give us a lottery.' Pietro managed to break in over the yells of the rest of the crew. "'I was about to suggest calling for volunteers, Captain Mueller.' I still have enough faith in humanity to believe— You're a fool, Dr. Pietro, Mueller said flatly. Do you think Grundy would volunteer, or Bullard? <laughs> but thanks for clearing the air, and admitting your group has nothing more to offer. A lottery seems to be the only fair system. He sat down heavily. We have tradition on this. In an emergency such as this, death lotteries have been held and have been considered legal afterwards. Are there any protests? I could feel my tongue thicken in my mouth. I could see the others stare about, hoping someone would object, wondering if this could be happening. But nobody answered, and Mueller nodded reluctantly. A working force must be left. Some men are indispensable. We must have an engineer, a navigator, and a doctor. One man skilled with engine room practice and one with deck work must remain. And the cook goes, Grundy yelled. His eyes were intent and slitted again. Some of the group nodded, but Mueller brought his fist down on the table. 
This will be a legal lottery, Mr. Grundy. Dr. Napier will draw for him. And for myself, Napier said, it's obvious that ten men aren't going on to Saturn. You'll have to turn back or head for Jupiter. Jupiter, in fact, is the only sensible answer. And a ship can get along without a doctor that long when it has to. I demand my right to the draw. Mueller only shrugged and laid down the rules. They were simple enough. He would cut drinking straws to various lengths, and each would draw one. The two deck hands would compare theirs, and the longer would be automatically safe. The same for the pair from the engine room. Wilcox was safe. Mr. Peters and I will have one of us eliminated, he added quietly. In an emergency, our abilities are sufficiently alike. The remaining group would have their straws measured, and the seven shortest ones would be chosen to remove themselves into a vacant section between hulls without air within three hours, or be forcibly placed there. The remaining ten would head for Jupiter if no miracle removed the danger in those three hours. Peters got the straws, and Mueller cut them and shuffled them. There was a sick silence that let us hear the sounds of the scissors with each snip. Mueller arranged them so the visible ends were even. Ladies first, he said. There was no expression on his face or in his voice. Jenny didn't giggle, but neither did she balk. She picked a straw and then shrieked faintly. It was obviously a long one. Eve reached for hers, and Wilcox yelled suddenly. Captain Mueller, protest, protest. You're using all long straws for the women. He had jumped forward and now struck down Mueller's hand, proving his point. You're quite right, Mr. Wilcox, Mueller said woodenly. He dropped his hand toward his lap and came up with a group of the straws that had been cut, placed there somehow without our seeing it. He'd done a smooth job of it, but not smooth enough. I felt some of you would notice it, but I also felt that gentlemen would prefer to see ladies given the usual courtesies. He reshuffled the assorted straws and then paused. Mr. Tremaine, there was a luxury liner named the Lorelei Elu, with an assistant engineer by your name, and I believe you've shown a surprisingly familiarity with certain customs of space. A few days ago, Jenny mentioned something that jogged my memory. Can you still perform the duties of an engineer? Wilcox had started to protest at the delay. Now shock ran through him. He stared unbelievingly from Mueller to me and back while his face blanched. I could guess what it must have felt like to see certain safety cut to a fifty percent chance, and I didn't like the way Mueller was willing to forget until he wanted to take a crack at Wilcox for punishment. But— I can, I answered, and then, because I was sick inside myself for cutting under Wilcox, I managed to add, but I, I waived my chance at immunity. Not accepted, Mueller decided. Jenny, will you draw? It was pretty horrible. It was worse when the pairs compared straws. The animal feelings were out in the open then. Finally, Mueller, Wilcox, and two crewmen dropped out. The rest of us went up to measure our straws. It took no more than a minute. I stood staring down at the ruler, trying to stretch the tiny thing I'd drawn. 
I could smell the sweat rising from my body, but I knew the answer. I had three hours left. Riggs, Oliver, Nolan, Harris, Tremaine, Napier, and Grundy, Mueller announced. A yell came from Grundy. He stood up with the engine man named Oliver, and there was a gun in his hand. No damned big brains kicking me off my ship, he yelled. You guys know me. Hey, Rube. Oliver was with him, and the other three of the crew sprang into the group. I saw Mueller duck a shot from Grundy's gun and leap out of the room. Then I was in it, heading for Grundy. Beside me, Peters was trying to get a chair broken into pieces. I felt something hit my shoulder, and the shock knocked me downward just as a shot whistled over my head. Gravity cut off. Someone bounced off me. I got a piece of the chair that floated by, found the end cracked and sharp, and tried to spin towards Grundy, but I couldn't see him. I heard Eve's voice yell over the other shouts. I spotted the plate coming for me, but I was still in mid-air. It came on steadily, edge on, and I felt it break against my forehead. Then I blocked out. End of chapter 4